You are listening to The Pregnancy Podcast with Vanessa Merton. Hello, thank you for tuning into The Pregnancy Podcast. You can find the full transcript and all of the resources for this episode at PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash autonomy. This episode, I have an interview with Deb Flaschenberg. I really think you will enjoy it. I had some technical difficulties just for the first few minutes of this recording. So the first three minutes are a little bit echoey, and I promise the audio gets much better after that. I want to thank Zoller for their support of this episode. Right now, you can save 20% off the Zoller prenatal plus DHA. This is my favorite prenatal vitamin. I highly recommend it. It has really high quality ingredients like omega-3s and DHA, which are so important for you and your growing baby. And Zoller really goes the extra mile with the ingredients that they include. To check out the vitamin and get that promo code to save 20% on Amazon, visit PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash vitamin. And just a reminder, there is an app for the Pregnancy Podcast. You can download it in the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. It's going to give you access to all of the Pregnancy Podcast episodes. And there's a really cool search function. So you can type in any keyword and it will bring up any episodes related to that topic. I hope you enjoy this episode with Deb Flaschenberg. Today on the podcast, I have Deb Flaschenberg, who is the director of the Prenatal Yoga Center located in New York, and she's also a prenatal yoga teacher, a labor support doula, a childbirth educator, and she hosts the podcast Yoga Birth Babies. Deb, thank you for joining me. I know I really summarized your bio. You have a <laughs> wear a lot of hats and quite a few credentials. Is there anything you want to add? I know I left out a lot from that. Um, no, I think you got it covered. Um, yeah, I do have a lot of hats dive, you know, I dive as much into the yoga world as the birth world. I try to intertwine them. I do teacher training. That's something I'll throw out there. I, one of my favorite things is teaching teachers how to teach the pregnant and postpartum population. And that's actually, and we're going to talk about autonomy today, but that's actually really where I found how important it is to talk about autonomy with with the teacher trainees so they know how to impart that with the students. So that's one of my favorite things is to teach other teachers. Yeah, well, thank you for all you do for the birth community and all of that teaching. It's cool when you can teach teachers and then you think about all the students that they have and you really get to make a big impact that way. I try. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I brought you, you're on the podcast today. We wanted to talk about autonomy and just in the preach, I was telling you, I don't think that that's a word that I've even brought up on the podcast. I've talked a lot about informed consent and the importance of getting educated and that kind of stuff. But can you break down a little bit, you know, what autonomy is and how it relates to pregnancy and birth? Yeah, absolutely. So the way I see it as it's taking agency and ownership over your body. And it's about being asked about what's being done instead of just being like, sure, here's my body, do your thing. You know, it's it's also about being part of the decision making or at least the discussion. So I think oftentimes we put ourselves, we can often put ourselves in the hands of the care provider and not really take ownership of what's happening. We'll be like, oh, sure, you told me to do this. I I will do this instead of stepping back and taking a beat and saying, 
why are we doing this? You know, it's so easy to be, and I'm going to put this in quotes, like the good patient or like, you know, as women were brought up to be like a good girl, you know, like that kind of thing and not rocking the boat. So I just define it as an opportunity to really take ownership as opposed to give yourself to the situation. That's a good way to define it. And, and two, one thing I would add is a lot of times a care provider, whether it's doctor or midwife, they're kind of in a position of authority. Oh, absolutely. You know, where, and it's really intimidating. I think even I myself have been in a position where I'm, you know, going into a prenatal appointment saying like, okay, here's the three questions that I want to ask. And you get in there and it's intimidating, especially if, you know, maybe they're, your questions aren't getting the attention that you want, or you're not getting the answers that you want, or they're getting brushed off. It can be really hard. Oh, I remember during my first pregnancy and I was with a midwife and she never wore the white coat. Her whole place was very cozy. And I really felt comfortable with her. But then she started having me go to her assistant for most of the appointments. And I was like, that's, you know, that's not what I want. I want to be with her. And it took me so many times I had to like draft in my mind what I wanted to say to her. I mean, this isn't a typical doctor, you know, where you're in and out, there's a white coat, it can feel very sterile. Like the midwife really made a casual uh, cozy atmosphere. And yet I was still so nervous to speak with her. So you're 100% like when people are in a, a position of authority, it's easy to give your autonomy and agency away. Yeah, it is. I, I think until you're in that room and face to face with somebody, you know, it's hard to know exactly how comfortable you're going to be bringing that kind of stuff up. I, yeah, I completely agree. And I feel like during pregnancy and birth is the time that people really need to take that agency over their body. There's actually been studies, and I'm going to see if I can dig it out. It was one of my old blogs that they compared people that were getting in, that were getting induced and people that had education about it and people that didn't. And they showed that even though maybe induction wasn't what the people the group wanted, when they were involved in the decision making, when they had education behind it, they felt better about their birth, more satisfied about their birth. So I think that also comes back to it that pregnancy and birth, it's such a huge part of one's life. And even, you know, even if someone that's not like a birth chunky like us, you know, it's going <laughs> to, um, it's going to make an impact. Like I, every single person I meet that knows what I do, I end up hearing their birth stories. I don't know why they just, <laughs> and I was like, I'll just give you the space to tell me. Um, and even when I was talking to like my husband's grandmother, this is before she died and she was in her nineties and she told me her birth stories in her 90s, you know, so they make an impact on us. And if we can at all have somebody feel better about or more satisfied, or let's even go, let's even lower the bar to not traumatized by their birth, then that I think can impact their life and how they share their birth with their with their children. So I think, you know, pregnancy and birth is a really important time to start to grab that voice. And many of us don't naturally flex that muscle of of, you know, ownership over our experience in our body. Yeah. And you, you know, obviously I love evidence and research will definitely have to track down that study. And a lot of things that you, you don't see in a lot of research questions on how people feel about their birth afterwards. It's just these medical statistics, you know, what was the, the rate of this or how many people had, you know, this outcome, but 
it's pretty rare that you see any results on how people reflect back on their birth, whether it was a positive experience or a negative experience. So I will make sure I have it because I know because I've referred to it many times. And so it's definitely in one of my blogs. I will definitely get that to you for your show notes. And also, I don't know if you know Listening Mothers. I think they've done three of them, the survey. That also breaks down and talks about people's satisfaction with their birth. Um, you know, it's all it's all perceived satisfaction. And what's really interesting, if you also start to dive into some of the, the birth trauma, that it that comes again back to how people are perceived, how they're treated during their birth, um, that comes back to the whole just experience. There was once, again, I'm going to give some stats that I'm going to have to check on, but there was one article I read that compared how women felt about their birth to being more traumatizing, higher levels of uh, postpartum PS, let's see if I'm going to get this right, post-traumatic stress disorder, so not postpartum, post-traumatic stress disorder, more people related to that postpartum than people did to 9-11. So this is just going to show of, you know, this is a whole other conversation of like what's happening in our birth culture. So if people are coming out of birth traumatized, they're feeling disrespected, they're feeling shamed, they're feeling traumatized, literally the words like barbaric were used in this study, then if we can back that up a little bit with education and autonomy, maybe we can take that that trauma away. Yeah, well, and let's talk about what are some, like, how do you find autonomy, right? What are some things that you can be doing to make yourself more empowered and be more involved in all the decisions and getting educated? I love that you asked that question. I think it's so multi-parted. So let's kind of break down. So I think education is one. So let's, well, I'm going to put that in for like kind of on the table for one second, but we'll definitely talk about the importance of education. But even like I think about the prenatal yoga classes that we do, we put autonomy out there even then. Like, so and a lot of yoga classes, kind of like a doctor, like you go in and there's a leader and you're kind of following what the leader says, you know, like a teacher student situation or a doctor patient situation. But what we're trying to do in our, at least in this methodology that I teach is that we want them to make decisions. You know, I'm always saying like, it's your body, it's your practice, it's your birth. So I'll do poses and give them options. You know, what works for you? I remember we had one woman, she used to come to the studio for, it was her third child. She came with all three and it was every Tuesday night and she would set up her mat in the corner and take a nap. And she's like, this is my practice. My practice right now is not putting my kids to sleep. My practice right now is taking care of myself and taking a nap. And I'm like, all power to you. Like, you know, like giving them the opportunity to take ownership. They're like, I don't need to do down dog. I don't need to do warrior two. I need to take a nap. Uh, you know, so giving them where the stakes are low, giving them that, again, it's that flexing that muscle of what if I don't do exactly what's being said? What if I have to make my own decisions? And then, and going with that. And we also talk about in class, and also in our childbirth ed classes, the acronym BRAIN of benefits, risks, alternatives, intuition, and doing nothing. So I interweave that sometimes as a theme into class and say, you know, like if we're doing something, think about it. Is it working for you? What are the benefits of it? What are the risks? What is, what's your, what are the alternatives you can do? What's your intuition tell you to do? And what if you didn't do it? So we're trying just to create this space for them to explore really taking that ownership on the yoga mat where, you know, again, the stakes, the bar is low. So if they can get used to doing that on the mat, can they take that, that, 
courage and that confidence and that ownership for when the stakes are higher, when they're having to talk to a care provider, when they're having to even talk to their partner or let's face it, like in-laws when it comes to being a, you know, a parent. Um, so we're starting on, we're starting low on the mat. And then I also think education, you know, if you are feeling undereducated and someone's talking at you, how are you going to feel like you have the voice to oppose or even say, let's break this down and talk about it more. So I think the more education someone can get, the more confidence they're going to feel. It doesn't mean that their birth's going to go exactly how they, you know, how they envisioned, I mean, you know, birth rarely does, but if they have that confidence and that education, they can be part of the, the conversation more. They can at least be in the discussion. They may not be able to make medical decisions because that is why they have a care provider and they may not also understand some of the medical decisions, but at least they're in the discussion. Right. And that's, I'm a huge proponent of, you know, you are working with your care provider through your whole pregnancy. Like you're the team, you know, you should be an integral part of getting educated and helping to make these decisions that it's really a two way street. And I think I love what you just said. Like, I also think people forget they hire that care provider. They're working. Care provider's working for them. They shouldn't, you know, let's, uh, I love, you know, OBGYNs, I love midwives, nurses, but we also have to keep in mind they're people, they have a lot of education, but they have been hired and they can be fired. Like someone can choose a different care provider. So they should be part of the team, not necessarily heading the team. Right. And I think for somebody that feels like they have some sense of autonomy, if you're working with a care provider, that's not the right fit that you're not really comfortable with, you're going to be a lot more comfortable finding somebody else. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother topic about like making sure you have the right fit because I've told my students, like you're not going to go head to head with your care provider and change the way they practice. You can change to a different, <laughs> a whole different practice though. Like they don't have to stick with that person. And, and if they do, because I know sometimes there's limitations, you know, like in New York city, we have a ton of care providers, but if you're in a more rural place or you're just less opportunity. Um, I always think having a doula can help or having your partner be really um, supportive and educated because we also don't want to have the birthing person have to start getting into that, you know, that kind of thinking brain during labor. Hopefully this, you know, the, the, the posse, that's what I call them, like the birth team is, is stepping in, but yeah, knowing that you're with the person, with the team that's going to support you, I think is really, really important. Yeah, that support piece is huge, definitely. I know in the past I've recommended, you know, that you take your partner with you to prenatal appointments if that's mm-hmm. possible. I think sometimes just having someone there so you maybe feel a little less intimidated or, you know, that you have someone to help you speak up if you kind of need that nudge or just having that support next to you. Yeah, especially if you do get nervous, you know, I know that I've had, uh, like, I remember I had abdominal surgery years ago, I had a hernia, and I had to take notes with me, um, because I was nervous. And my husband had to stay home with the kids. And my friend came with me. And she and I had this little look, she's like, if you feel like you're being talked, because this particular doctor, I felt I was very intimidated by. And so we had a little look, she's like, if you feel like you need me to remind you, you know, to ask your questions. And she did. She's like, Deborah, are there any other questions you want to ask? I go, yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, I do. Because um, <laughs> she knew she couldn't ask the questions for me. But I was, I was so intimidated. I was, you know, in this gown, which is another thing. Uh, you know, when you're speaking with the care provider, if you don't have to be in a gown, you're going to be far more confident in your clothes than a paper gown. Um, so I got right. 
there in this paper gown and my friend having to nudge me. And, you know, here I am, someone that's like, have autonomy. You know, the best of us can can feel really small at times. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of things with there's so many hospital policies or policies that just your doctor has. If your appointment comes up and you have to put that gown on every time, I mean, sometimes I don't think it hurts to ask, is this necessary? Or, you know, can I not do this? Can we do something different? Yeah, there's a midwife, um, Tanya Wills here in New York, and she always talks about who's wears the pants, meaning like you're going to feel more comfortable to be able to push back if you're in your own clothes. Plus, if you don't want to say you're hitting like your 36, 37, 38 week checkup and you don't want a vaginal exam, like don't get undressed. You're like, keep your clothes on, you know, so think about like who wears the pants, like if you're going to feel just better in your clothes than making yourself feel diminished in a gown, not saying there's not a place for it. There certainly is. Yeah, I guess just finding a comfort level with yourself and I'm not even sure where else to go with that, but just finding a comfort level with making sure that you can kind of hold your own. Yeah, well, and I think too, you don't want to clash with your care provider. It's not about questioning everything that they're doing. This is somebody who I'm sure has a lot of experience and they bring a lot of expertise to the table. And that's what we're talking about with really working with them. They're on your side and on your team. And if you feel they're not, then, you know, trying to switch. Right. I mean, I get quite a few emails from listeners of the podcast that say they're not thrilled with their care provider, but they don't know, you know, can they switch? How late in their pregnancy can they switch? And my stance on that is always any time is a good time to switch if you're unhappy with your provider. But definitely, I think can be a little bit easier earlier on. Yeah, it's funny. My own I asked my doctor this and he was really forward about when to switch and why to switch. He says after 23 weeks, it's a lot harder to switch. And I was like, well, why is it? I've heard that too. And he was really, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to out him. But he's like insurance. They don't get paid as much after 23 weeks because there's, I guess, a certain amount of visits you do. I don't totally understand the billing, but he was really honest. Like after 23 weeks, it's not as much of an incentive to take someone new. Now, if they're not taking insurance, that might be a different situation. Um, But I'm with you. Like if someone's really not feeling supported, because let's take a step back from that too. You know, what happens if you go into a birth and you're feeling apprehensive about the care you're going to get? Your body's going to react to that. You know, we know the hormones of labor. If there's a lot of anxiety and adrenaline, how well is the body going to produce oxytocin and how functional is that birth going to go? So it really is, if it's possible, it's really important to make sure your care provider is part of your team so that you can really be open and vulnerable and get out of that thinking brain instead of trying to labor and in the back of your mind there's animosity or there's feeling of like, oh no, they're going to tell me I don't want to do something, you know, to do something I don't want. You know, so that's why I also think a doula is incredibly helpful. Um, if you can't switch and you're stuck for whatever reason, let the doula, again, the doula doesn't come in with like, you know, a sword and a, in a cape, like there to fix everything, but they can just help hold the space a little bit. My experience when I was taking birth work, we were left alone a little bit more by the hospital staff because the doula was there. So, you know, I would say if you if you're having a hard time with your care provider, try to switch to someone you feel really aligns with what you have the support you want. If you can't switch, have a really strong support team, whether that just be your partner, if you are partnered, whether it be a doula and your partner, you know, um, 
or just have maybe even try to have a frank conversation with your care provider saying, you know, how can we work better together? And hopefully they would be um, receptive to that. Yeah, well, and with the current situation going on with COVID-19 and all of that craziness, I know that it can be a little more challenging when you can't bring your partner into an appointment or we're saying, you know, we're doulas or... Yeah, they're doing it virtually. virtually. Yeah, that is harder. Um, I have not done doula work virtually, but the ones I know that have... Um, you know, they still are able to support their person, you know, their, their client by making recommendations, maybe encouraging the partner if the partner is there to help make recommendations. I did have a conversation with a student not that long ago. She gave birth right at the start of COVID. And this was during that one week in New York City where partners weren't allowed, which is devastating. And she said what was really helpful for her was going in with knowledge and education that gave her confidence to help navigate the hospital. She also said she felt confident to push back a little bit because they wanted to do full-time monitoring and she wanted to have intermittent monitoring. And the nurse was like, we are just so busy. I really need you to have full-time monitoring. And she's I can't believe, I mean, I, I love that. She's, she's like, no, I really need to have intermittent monitoring. And, and she did, but she really stood up for herself, which is amazing because she was in labor by herself wow. in the room. And she said something that I thought was just so beautiful. She's like, I was by myself. She goes, but you know what made me feel really good? She's like, I had my baby, so I wasn't really by myself. She's like, I had a really small team. And I'm like, oh, I love that. I love that. That is awesome. But yeah, it's hard. I mean, we're in a crazy time where we can't bring as many people in. So I guess, you know, if you're feeling restricted, again, that comes back to the confidence and education and knowledge. And then, and then I guess also maybe picking your battles. I don't know if that would be, if that's helpful. Um, but yeah, for, for my student that had that, like the intermittent monitoring was really important to her and she really stuck with that and, and they, and they honored that. Yeah. And I think picking your battles definitely, I don't know. I want to be careful saying that a little bit, but it's, you're not going to get anywhere if you're butting heads on every single yeah, that's what I thing, mean. Right. And there yeah. are some things that may seem really important in the beginning and then you kind of get in that situation and you're like, ah, oh, well, you know, maybe this wasn't quite as big of a deal as I thought it would be. Or maybe you your viewpoint changes on it, too. So, yeah, I'm not trying to like concede on everything, but more highlighting what you said, especially if you're already overwhelmed by the situation, not becoming um, not not every single thing you're kind of picking at and saying, you know, I want this, I want this, I want this. Um, so that's what I meant by picking your battles. I wasn't trying to say like, throw up your hands and be like, okay, do, do what you want with me. Right, right. Thank you, for, thank you for having me clarify that. When you have people that are doing prenatal yoga with you mm-hmm. and, and talking about how that can help with autonomy, for somebody who maybe isn't um, very well versed in yoga, who doesn't practice it regularly, mm-hmm. how can they get involved with a yoga practice? Like, do you have tips for what kind of class to seek out or how? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would definitely, if they are pregnant, I would, and they haven't done yoga, I highly recommend that they start the prenatal yoga class, make sure the person's certified. Um, And then they'll, you know, they'll take the, they'll slowly start to learn the basics. And then hopefully that teacher also gives the option for things. You know, yoga is such a great opportunity to get to know your body. And get to, which is changing daily, you know, when you're right. pregnant. 
<laughs> like I literally had a student this morning say she's, she's 21 weeks. She's like, it just, she's like, it, I popped. I'm different than I was two weeks ago. I'm like, absolutely. She's like, I'm hitting things with my belly. I'm having like wet marks on my belly. I didn't even know it's getting in the way when I'm doing things. I'm like, it's not that it's getting in the way. It's just different. You know, so it's just a great opportunity to get to know your body. And so, yeah, I'd start with making sure that you have a class that is tailored to prenatal and then use it as an opportunity to explore. You know, like we use it so deeply to not just explore how your body moves, but even exploring how your body responds to discomfort. Now, that's one of the things I think is so important about a prenatal class. It's just, it's giving the opportunity to notice, okay, I'm uncomfortable in a pose. What's helping me? Okay, here I am. I, I, maybe I'm finding my breath. Maybe I have, maybe I'm making sound. You know, so it's, while everyone is having the same practice, each person can personalize how they respond to that, that pose and how they respond to a challenge of that pose. So I, I, yeah, I just think it's such a great, rich ground for self-exploration. But yeah, getting back to if they've never done yoga, definitely find a teacher that knows what they're doing. Um, find that, make sure they're certified. And then hopefully that teacher gives opportunity to have some space. Like when we're on all fours, after we do some standing pose on each side, then we come to all fours. And I offer like five or six different options for them to choose from so that they don't feel like they just have to take one path. Like what do they want to do in that moment? And then again, we also, we always deal with maybe three or four different pain management techniques. And I offer them to look at what they're responding to. And then also recognize that what worked earlier in class may not work later. It's kind of like birth, you know, you start labor and something might be working really well. And then you turn a corner to a more intense part of birth and what you were working on before didn't work. So you have something else. Just the more we can just get to know ourselves and get to know what's what serves ourselves. Um, and I think a prenatal class can really be a, a rich ground for that. Yeah, it sounds like it. We're going to definitely have to get you back on the podcast and dive a little deeper into prenatal yoga and how helpful that can be. I love that it ties into getting to know your body better and even talking about it relating to autonomy. To get back to the autonomy, is there any other points that you think we need to include or anything else that you think think. would be relevant there? Um, I think I think the idea of autonomy and ownership is not something just about pregnancy and birth. I think it it actually comes even stronger into play in parenthood because I feel like everyone has an opinion about how you should parent. Um, And so being confident in yourself as a parent, knowing when to ask for help, you know, so just recognizing, I also recognizing that you might make mistakes. You know, you might feel really confident about a choice and then maybe later be like, hmm, that might have not been. Right. But then taking ownership of that too. You know, I tell, I tell my kids that all the time. Like I'm trying to teach them ownership and, and taking responsibility for themselves. And at the same time, they're like, oh, I, I, that was not my best choice. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's just being okay with making mistakes, owning when you make mistakes. And and trusting trusting a bit I guess a deeper intuition that our bodies and our, our minds are really smart and we sometimes we have to to hear that inner voice. I know that sounds so corny, but to sit with maybe discomfort and see what's really coming up for us. I hope that's answering your question. No, it does. <laughs> it bit. does. Yeah, and I hadn't thought about that either, how autonomy plays a role in parenting. 
And you mentioning intuition, you know, going back to the brain acronym, I think that's such an important piece that's so easy to overlook, Yeah. you know, especially if your care provider is telling you something that goes against kind of how you're feeling. And sometimes it's hard to bring that up and verbalize it. Yeah. Know? doesn't seem like a strong argument to tell your doctor that I just don't feel right about this or something feels off. But that is a really big, important part. Like really, our intuition's very smart. I remember doing a birth actually with one of my friends. And, you know, so there's naturally bleeding during during labor, you know, bloody show is normal. And I always tell people if you have like copious amounts of blood, that could be well, central abruption. But she was just having what kind of looked like just normal, um, bleeding bloody show and she's just so much like something just doesn't feel right it just she's like I don't know what it is it looks like it's normal it's not copious but something doesn't feel right and so I said okay let's let's head to the hospital let's it was a little earlier than we normally would because you know her contractions weren't that close together but she just had this gut feeling that something wasn't right and when we get there she had a partial abruption so it wasn't you know, a huge amount of blood and it wasn't, you know, but it looked within the normal and her gut was just like, I need to get this checked out. And I'm so glad that she trusted her gut and that we didn't question that. Like her intuition's like, something's not right. I need to get this checked out. And, and she ended up, yeah, placental, uh, a partial abruption and she ended up having a cesarean, which was the right thing for her body and baby. So yeah, trusting that gut instinct. Yeah. That... We enough of. <laughs> Right. And two, I mean, two, I don't think there's anything wrong with if you're concerned about something or worried about something, you know, going into the hospital or seeing your doctor or giving them a phone call just to make sure that you're addressing your intuition. Because, yeah, look at the case of your friend. Thankfully, you know, she went to the hospital um, or for, you know, maybe it can just help put your mind at ease if yeah, it's something not to worry about. And say it wasn't and it was normal, they either would have admitted her or sent her home. You know, so if your gut's telling you something, sometimes I think it's easy to talk ourselves out. Oh, I don't want to bother anyone. You know, it's late at night or early in the morning. I'm just going to wait it out. You know, how many times we've, I've done that, talk myself out of seeking help I probably should have had. So, yeah, trusting our gut. Well, I'm so glad to have you on today and to talk about autonomy. This is definitely vocabulary that I want to include more of. I'll link to your website, your podcast, all of that stuff. Do you want to tell us where we can find you online and more about you? Yes, yes, yes. And I will also send you those studies. I promise I will get that for you because I love evidence-based stuff. So I'll make sure I get the studies. You can link to that too. So Perfect. You find um, on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Prenatal Yoga Center. And then my website's prenatalyogacenter.com. Um, and then I, for if you have any yoga teachers out there, I do yoga teacher training throughout the country. You can check that out on our website. And I also have some short uh, trainings. One is called Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi? And that is for yoga teachers that are not trained in prenatal, don't want to be trained in prenatal, but have a pregnant student come into their class. And then they sometimes panic and they, <laughs> they don't know what to do with that person. So that's a short training to help the teacher, as well as another short training um, called Teaching the Postnatal Student. And then, of course, my podcast, Yoga Birth Babies. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share all that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I listen to a lot of pregnancy podcasts because I, I like know. knowing what else is out there. But I yours is definitely one of one of my favorites. So 
Thank you. I'm so honored to be on because I've listened to yours for a long time, too. So this is I'm having fun geeking out with you. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, thank you, Deb. To recap today's episode, we talked about autonomy and how that relates to informed consent, building confidence for your pregnancy and your birth, even postpartum and parenting. And we talked a lot about your birth team and finding support. We got a little bit into some things on having a baby during the COVID-19 pandemic and talked a lot about intuition. I want to thank you for tuning into the Pregnancy Podcast today. I hope that you find this episode helpful. As always, you can contact me, Vanessa, at PregnancyPodcast.com, and you can read the full transcript and see all of the resources that accompany this episode at PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash autonomy. Autonomy.